<laughs> Jay's drinking his coffee. Do you drink it black or do you put sugar, cream? Just thing? black. I drink mine with a little sugar. I had to microwave it because it was it was cold. That wasn't my fault this time. No, it's not a cold brew coffee, though. It's but, important to note that, that is, that's a thing. I have no idea what that means, but I know that it's a thing. Okay, yep. Welcome to today's episode of You'll Die Trying. Welcome. You'll die trying. You will. You'll die trying, man. You totally will. I feel foggy today. I'm coming in hot. I'm going to be honest with you. Really? Had a bit of a morning. <laughs> is this something that we don't want to talk about, or is this something that we absolutely will address maybe later in life? Yes. Okay. Yes to both. <laughs> okay. It's one of those things that makes me wonder, like when I listen to podcasts and I read books and I know that you know artists who are creative, they have their times of day when they feel most inspired and they grab hold of the hand of the muse and... You wonder, like, what happened to them 30 minutes before, and, and how does that influence and inform the mood from which they created? I can tell you that uh, it's going to be something. Okay, I'm excited. There's going to be fireworks, for sure. Your face isn't red, so I'm you're not, fire. obviously, no. you don't really get mad, though. I mean, if you Very do- Very rarely. You, I've never seen, uh, I don't think I've ever seen you mad. I-, I only get angry if I feel like someone's disrespecting my spouse, my wife, Joy. And the, my girls know that. Like, <laughs> if you want to see me on fire, be disrespectful to the mama, and uh, and you'll see it. It's a guarantee. Every time. Few things in life are guaranteed. That's one of them. <laughs> one of them is that you'll die, and one of them that you'll get the wrath of Jay if you <laughs> mess with his spouse. Don't ever mess with his spouse. She's amazing. I think we have a ton of stuff to talk about from our last week to today to this week. Uh, tons of things have happened. I'll I'll jump right into it, and I want to start. Please start playing the sad music. Please, somber. I'm playing. There we go. I am a very proud owner of the shingles in my face. Oh gosh, it's terrible. Uh, not so much the blisters or whatever comes of it. Like, thank God. So there's a the shingles. If you don't know what they are, I thought it was just old people got them. No, not at all. I'm 33 years old, and if you've had the chicken pox as a kid, the shingles lie dormant in your body. I'm a doctor now, by the way, because I've WebMD'd the crap out of it. Dr. Morris? Dr. Morris, here at your service. Uh, special thanks to my friend, though, Trip, Dr. George. I mean, he was super helpful. But uh, in my face, there is a nerve that has three branches. Just put your finger in like an E right here. You're looking, see, like that? Yeah. It's on your forehead, under your eye, and then like down your cheek and chin. That's where my shingles are, and it was the most excruciating, has been the most excruciating pain. Uh, I'm, I'm doped up on some Mountain Dew, uh, that being steroids and antivirals like crazy, so my brain's a little foggy. Uh, I'm a week in, caught it quick, which mm. is good. So now the ice pick in the ear is kind of going away. It's stress-induced uh, or lack of sleep-induced, and I'm not telling you, uh, jokes aside, I'm not one to ask for sympathy. So this isn't a sympathetic story. This is actually important to bring this up. because You're think not should milking be, it. No. 
Is there sarcasm? I think so. Uh, I think this brings a good point. As a leader that I am and that you listeners are or are hoping to strive to be, um, stress is a part of what we do day in and day out. And last week we talked about we talked about how, you know, uh, there is no such thing as a work-life balance when work and life are similar. And then the same, you know, you have this ability to, you, you need to be able to put them together, right? Uh, give more here, give less here, be able to balance that out. That is life. It's Yeah, we talk about that in a previous podcast. Yes. I think that's a false dichotomy. Right. No such thing as work-life balance. So to that, I have been failing, obviously, insert shingles on the face, uh, with something. So... I allowed stress. I allowed stress to impact sleep. I allowed sleep to impact performance. And then I allowed this pain to, of course, invade my face. And I think that there's there's a lesson definitely to be learned here. So what I've done this past week, and I know you noticed this, is I've backed up. This week I have ruled from the perch. Mm-hmm. I have refocused on, well, definitely self, <laughs> self-care. Yes. Crucial. Absolutely crucial. Been preaching it for years. Let's, and people think it's not a real thing. Let's start there for a minute. As a business owner, as someone who is a business owner and as a parent and all the things that I know that our listeners deal with and work through and uh, fight against, let's talk about self-care and let's talk about stress in the workplace. Okay. So I have uh, some clients that I see, and in fact, they're all women. It's a, a support group that I've created for people with this condition. It's called All the Shingle Ladies. <laughs> Um, and one of the things that I've heard and learned from these people is that uh, it has changed their lives. It has radically changed their lives. They no longer are willing to uh, endure uh, work at home into the late hours, preventing them from sleeping well, uh, blocking them from their exercise routines and rituals. They've learned that your body keeps the score. And if you don't pay attention to it, it will let you know. And I'm so sorry that you've had to encounter that. So let's say a positive word about self-care. I think a lot of people who hear about self-care think that it's kind of like a, a, a maybe a millennial approach to not really wanting to work when really I'm talking to someone who would be considered a millennial mm-hmm. and all you do is work. So clearly that's not the case. It's, it's a sweeping generalization that hurts an entire population of people. Self-care is, uh, it's a real thing. The only person that you have control over is you. The only person whose life you can help create and construct and shape and form is your own. Why is it that we uh, give so much of ourselves uh, to other people to tell us what to do and who to be? We've referred to this in a previous podcast as well. Um, We get something out of that. That's my question to you. What do you think we get out of either the reality of being overworked or the optic of appearing to be overworked. Either way, what are we getting out of that? Is it our attempt at uh, uh, proving something to someone? Is it our attempt? For me, overworking, sometimes I actually don't notice I'm overworking, if that's even possible or if that makes sense. Like It's just a part it's like a day. I don't know. It's a poor habit, mm-hmm. I think. So uh, habit like of biting your nails, it's kind of disgusting. Again, I think it's what happens when we forget to pay attention, mm-hmm. when we're not intentional. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. 
Well, I uh, I'm I'm sad with you. I have to say you've you've handled it like a champ. You never complain. Still haven't. Uh, I think you have hopefully learned that it's uh, it's not worth your health uh, to uh, to give it away in in service of something, even if it's uh, a dream, even if that dream is your own. It's not worth it. Your health is your wealth, as they say. It, it really is. And I, him saying, you saying, him, Doctor Carroll, saying that I wasn't complaining, haven't complained. I, I appreciate you saying that. I hope I'm not too compl- too much of a complainer. I don't like to complain. I hate that. I really do. Uh, last week, we were on a, a a trip, a business trip, Dr. J and I, and we went and we had a meeting with um, three three business individuals, and we're sitting across from them, and I, I just looked at them, because this was whenever the, the pain started on the way. I kept saying I thought I had an earache, yeah. an ear infection. And I was just like, not myself. So that was the start of it. But I think we're on the we're on the up and up, and that's good. So well, on the way back, do you remember we were driving down the road? Actually, it was on the way there, and there was the Carvana uh, truck. Maybe yeah. it was a previous trip, but anyway, I'm putting it together. Carvana, if you don't know about this company, uh, what I do know about Carvana is it's this nice flatbed truck that has a nice vehicle strapped onto the back of it, and it's going to its final destination. That final destination is the purchaser of a vehicle. So you go onto Carvana's website, or you can go in Nashville. I think there's like a big glass tower, and it has like literally looks like a vending machine of vehicles, and you it cuts out the the car sales person, and it's a, it's a computerized experience. It's like, which car do you want? Which finance option do you want? Let's roll. And I want to get your take on this mm-hmm. because... I think it is a brilliant business move, mm-hmm. personally. So, what are your thoughts on this? What is your thought on like this experience behind the computer and not having just cutting people out altogether? So, the the question about the dangers and privileges and responsibilities of human interaction yeah. versus in a technological age. Uh, you know, it, it is a from a business perspective, it's brilliant because obviously businesses have to always think about cutting costs and increasing revenue and cutting out jobs. <laughs> That's one way, yeah. you know, bloodletting. That's one way to cut costs. But I think you know most most business owners know that that's not the first, second, or even third uh, approach that needs to be taken to to cut costs. But from the ground up, the business model is we're going to put you in charge of what it is you want. We're going to make that delivery possible, and you know, basically, we're getting out of the way. It's it's you and what you need, and the service that we can provide without really even having to interact. There's something to be said for that. Uh, there are some positive things to say about it. I think obviously there are some uh, negative things to say too. I was on a board uh, once of our community's uh, public library. And when I was there, we were having discussions about a kiosk that would dispense laptop computers. And so you would go in, you would swipe your library card, enter in some uh, you know, information briefly, and then out comes this laptop. A drawer just kind of slides out. And you have, you know, whatever hour, two hour, three hour time limit was set on that particular kiosk, you have the laptop in your possession in the building uh, for that long. And it saved the circulation desk, reference desk, staff people so much time from having to go retrieve a computer, get the information. I mean, it was really brilliant. And there's no business angle there because it's a library. I think that there is something to be said also about giving people responsibility to take care of themselves. It's one thing we teach our kids. Uh, it's a tough lesson to learn, but you can't rely on anyone. Take care of yourself. And a lot of times I think people walk in to purchase a car or even people who are you know, buying clothes or groceries, they really do kind of depend on that salesperson to kind of shepherd them through this process. 
when I'm a consumer reports guy, I want to know everything that I can know. I want to be informed. It's, you know, caveat and tour, buyer beware. You don't let people make these decisions for you. So I'm, I'm attracted to the idea. I'm at 43 years old. I'm a child of the internet. I'm grateful for it. I think the simplest way is probably the best way in this, in this case. So uh, I'm going to say two thumbs up. I think it's a really cool idea. Uh, we're in a smaller market, of course. So, you know, you have the Nashville, the Louisville, I believe it's in Louisville. Uh, they're, they're feeding to our smaller markets, but you're seeing more and more of them travel up and down the Western Kentucky Parkway, which is, which is really interesting. I think it's going to be really fun. I'm all about sitting behind a computer. I'm all about, I love human interaction. Let's be honest though, on a daily basis, we have 50, 60 small talks a day. So if I can have a moment of, <laughs> you know, silence and solace and just be able to buy a car yeah. without having to talk to the car salesperson. I'm all for it. One thing I, I, I think that it does to help human relationships to be behind a computer for making those purchases is that it reduces the number of transactional relationships that we have. So I can go pull up and get gas basically any time of night or day and never interact with a human being, which means I'm not treating that person as a means to an end. I just want my gas. Can I just get out of here, please? Uh, which means when I do encounter human beings, I'm not needing something from them. And so my philosophy of approach to them is more interactional, more personal, more human. So I think actually being able to take care of needs via technology frees me to treat people less transactionally and more personally. Does that make sense? Yes, I no longer need you to help me get my gas or buy my car or get my books. I can do all that online, freeing me now to engage people at a personal level where I'm not, I'm not needing something for you. Now I just want to know how you are. That's neat. That's really neat. That's, that is um, allowing us the opportunity to appreciate human, just being human with yeah. one another. And you saying needing something, I am learning as this leader to whom much is given, much is expected. Um, I am a big believer in that. I, I've worked very hard to serve our people that serve our people well. Um, and sometimes, it, most times, it's paid attention to and acknowledged. Uh, I have a lot to learn still, and I know that. Uh, however, sometimes maybe uh, it's not so much. What I've seen, when you are in a leadership role, um, your team, your people, people need you uh, and come to you for all kinds of needs. Uh, and it can get, it can bog you down. Um, not so much as a burdensome thing, but I, as a family man, I, as someone that I pride myself on having quite the heart. Um, so for instance, uh, when someone comes to you and um, let's talk candidly, uh, someone comes to you and they need pay two days early. Payday is two days away. We get paid every two weeks. They need pay two days early. Uh, that's a hard, that's a hard uh, decision to make because mm -hmm. you do it once, you're doing it again. You've set precedent. You've set precedent. Mm -hmm. So maybe this isn't so much a question. Maybe this isn't. Maybe this is just talking and kind of confiding in <laughs> in you because I know everyone that's listening has had this happen. Absolutely, <laughs> the guy who mows your yard, who's who's on a monthly retainer, he definitely has knocked on your doors like, "Hey, can I get paid early today?" There's always something that happens. Yeah. So, there's how always do, a story. Always a story. Mm -hmm. um, what are your suggestions, uh, encouragements to people like myself who, who uh, I don't want to say fall for the story, but fall for the story. 
I think one of the most important qualities of leadership is empathy, uh, which doesn't mean, as it is, I think, culturally and colloquially understood, to mean feeling what other people feel. I think it means instead understanding that you are feeling what you are feeling and accepting the fact that you feel that way without feeling the need to judge or evaluate it. And when you do that, you humanize a situation. We have to, of course, recognize that our efforts at empathy with other people involves a tremendous amount of trust. It involves vulnerability because we're trusting that the other person is going to be honest and we're vulnerable to that. The sad truth is uh, not everyone is honest and a lot of times the stories we get aren't themselves true. So I think we have to kind of walk a tightrope there and I think as leaders in in businesses, whether small or large and by when we talk about small business, of course, we're talking about employee number, not revenue. Um, so when you have, like with us, uh, fewer than 50 employees, that's a, that's a small business. I think you have to uh, order your life together um, through policy. It's kind of like what the Ten Commandments were designed to be. They were never really about whether you should um, put these in a courtroom or something else. I think it was more, you can't live together in peace when you want to steal my lawnmower. So don't steal your neighbor's lawnmower, like simply put, you know, it's not so much don't do these things. It's in order to be able to do these things, you have to live this way, like within this boundary. So I think policies in small business is a way of saying, here are the boundaries that allow us to live together in peace so that we can do our jobs and, and, and still like each other at the end of the day. Uh, and one of those policies is we, we can't practice um, individual discernment. Uh, of requests when it comes to asking for our checks early, because if everyone did that, what would happen to us? So you've you've heard of Immanuel Kant. He's a philosopher. Uh, a couple of things that he said in his, quote, categorical imperative, one of the things that I've already referenced, we can't treat people as a means to an end, but only as an end in themselves. That goes to that technological slash human interaction piece. And then in this particular conversation, the other side of the categorical comparative is, can you will that what you are going to do should be a universal maxim? Meaning, could you say that if I'm going to do this, everyone else in the universe who's in the same situation must also do the same thing? Which means I have to do it to you today, I have to do it to her tomorrow, and then I have to do it to them too on Friday, and now I'm doing it to everyone. So now payday is moved up by two weeks. If it can't be willed as a universal, then it's probably not a good idea. And are those people treating us as a means to an end or as an end in ourselves? So when you think about that, kind of this is the good, fun use of philosophy, which I think philosophy has a million good uses every day. This helps you get some clarity. It's not just about this person, this story. How does this impact who we are, our business, our culture, and how does it dance with the way we understand the world, our worldview? That is really insightful. And the way that I handled that previous uh, situation, it was it was probably a month or two ago that this did happen, but it just came to light in my mind when we were talking earlier. I said, it is absolutely unfortunate uh, to know that the situation is happening. And um, yeah. I appreciate you feeling confident to tell me this and, and know that, you know, I am I'm supportive of you. And I remove, I learned about a year or two ago to remove the word but from from any type of dialogue with someone. You can always, always, almost always replace it with and. No one knows it and it doesn't have that negative impact. Correct. Or however. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And therefore. Say, yeah, therefore. And uh, so I, I went on to say, you know, however, you know, payday is uh, two days from now. And I, I believe that you're strong enough to, to hold out those couple of days and 
we're here. Yeah. And I think that that's great. Um, so thank you for sharing that. You said everyone knows this philosopher, not just what you said. And I'm looked at you, my eyes were like Emmanuel Kant. Yeah. Kant. Yeah. I see it. Nuts. <laughs> well, I think the secret to that all whole thing is making sure people are heard. I think that's it's more important, important that they're heard than that they are accommodated. People want to be heard. That's all that they want. I, I want that. I want to know that I'm heard. I want to know that my grievance is heard. I want to know that my my uh, kind word is heard. I think that's that's important to know. Last night, it was really cool. Um, share just something a little personal. Whenever um, you are down and out for a week's time and you're able to just kind of sit with your thoughts and sit with just uh, maybe slowing down a little bit to take care of yourself, self-care, um, you're able to see some things. And, and last night, Megan and I, talked after the boys went to bed for like two hours, stayed up till midnight, nice. just talking like, like high schoolers connecting. Are connecting. It was so neat. Highly encourage, highly encourage people just to be people, you know, <laughs> be people, be, be a spouse, be a friend, um, be present. That's a very important thing because I'm going to be honest with you when I'm 60 years old, I don't know about you. I might want to have some some uh, investments and things. I might want to be involved to be a partner somewhere, but let somebody else do the work and, and sit somewhere and enjoy what I've done. I don't want to work forever. Uh, Megan, my family, uh, hopefully you, Dr. J, you know, people that I love will be there. Um, business won't always, right? Right. You know, it, all, it always won't, it won't always be there. I think what you uh, just described in your relationship uh, with Megan is something that every relationship could benefit from. It's what I think, what's what I call an unstructured moment. wasn't planned. If you had planned it, it wouldn't have been what it was. Have you ever noticed when you have a group of people over to your house or you're at someone else's house and you're having a gathering, everyone tends to gather toward the kitchen, right? Always. And then it's like, hey, everybody, let's, we got our drinks. Let's go sit down. You're having this great conversation and the host feels like, oh, everyone's uncomfortable. Let's go sit down. People will be more comfortable. But by the time you go from this room to that, you've just completely shifted the context. You've shifted the energy, the attention, and the conversation is never the same. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. Say, it's amazing. This is why I tell people, if you're going to be in conflict with your spouse, do not do it in the bedroom. Because the bedroom is where you're supposed to hang pleasure moments and you're supposed to have being known hidden in the nightstand drawers. And you don't want the messy nastiness of unmanaged conflict in that same sacred space. The two spaces we go to be known, I think, are sanctuaries and bedrooms. And I think we need to keep those places holy and away from conflict. So move to another room. What happens? Well, when you move... When you both can even, if it would be awesome if people could just playfully say, wait, 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 we're in the bedroom. We're not supposed to fight in the bedroom. Let's go in the living room. By the time you've moved, you've changed the context. You've changed the energy. You've changed the attention and everything is different. And now you're having another and a different conversation. Yeah, you're still in conflict. Yes, somebody's still probably screwed up and needs to be held accountable. You still need to, to make a repair bid and reach for reconciliation. But at the end of the day, you've, the, the, the bedroom has remained a safe space. And you've changed the course of the conversation just by moving. So I encourage people to not argue in the bedroom. But what you y'all had was an unstructured moment where you were just in each other's company, observing life, your life together, work, home, kids, building closeness, a sense of connection, and uh, your 
the future of your marriage will thank you for that. Absolutely. It was, it was really neat. It's, it's really fun because, uh, with anything in life you become, can become complacent. And, uh, if I'm putting all this effort into, to these acquisitions and these businesses, then I, I absolutely, she deserves it. I deserve it. We deserve to be able to invest in ourselves and with one another. It, it was great. I felt, I felt 20 again. I don't know. It was just really a special, it was a special moment. And, and that's really neat. Not arguing in the bedroom. Where do you, bringing grievances in the workplace, where's the place to do that? Obviously not the place in which the people are performing. Is that correct? People meaning your people. Yeah, I think it should be a, a separate space designated for discernment, not for conflict. Because I think if it's the conflict space and everyone's like, oh, don't, I don't want to be anywhere near there. Because people have a general adversity toward, you know, they're, they're conflict averse, I'll say. Um, but that's because we interpret conflict through a negative lens and believe it from childhood to be bad for us. Is that where we develop the defensiveness is in the child, the childhood? It's like a child, childhood development. I think one of the first words we hear as children is no, and one of the first words we say as children is no, which gives us what I think is a negative bias. And so therein lies a conflict. I want to reach my hand toward the stove. I'm told not to put my hand toward the stove. We are in a fundamental disagreement of wants, right? Of course, it's for my safety, but I'm too young to know that. But I know I'm in a conflict. And then you will see some children, normally not the firstborn, will continue to reach out, pressing the boundary, pressing for the possibilities of what might be just beyond that no. And normally it's a smack in the hand or a firmer talking to or whatever, and then there's tears. But we grow up learning, I want something, I need something, I'm getting some pushback from that, now I'm in a conflict, and a large Part of how we deal with that is how we learned how to deal with it when we were kids. So parents do a great service to their children when they teach them conflict can be a gift. It is always a teacher, and it doesn't have to be something that we are afraid of or averse to and certainly not avoidant of. Being a leader in this life in business, is it is imperative to not be one to is, who is quick to be defensive yeah. who is quick to be reactive, um, the the leader is the one that can take a moment, breathe, <laughs> and then decide, discern, uh, continue to um, either put their hand towards the, mm-hmm. the stove or to know that that's probably going to burn the absolute fire out of my hand. Right. Let's back up. Let's start over. Let's regroup. That's really neat to, to think about. In my world of doing marital therapy, I was trained by uh, Dr. John Gottman, who is a world-renowned marital therapist and, and scientist and uh, has done multiple uh, 20, 30 years long longitudinal studies with couples and, and has incredible accuracy at his Seattle, Washington-based love lab where he uh, puts couples in a room and puts them on a sofa that is on a meter. They call it the the gigolometer, uh, and they have nodes on their fingertips, and they're testing heart rate, breathing patterns as couples talk about things like about their dog or about their children, about their retirement plans. And overall, the Gottman uh, group has learned with incredible accuracy within about five to 15 minutes of being with a couple, the likelihood that that marriage will remain a marriage. And it's like 90% 
accuracy within the first five minutes of just watching people interact. And Dr. Gottman has taught us and written extensively about four apocalyptic tendencies in marriages that predict dissolution of the marriage. Either the relationship, you stay together, but you're not really a a marriage, or it ends in divorce. And those four indicators, I want to give them to you and, and hear you reflect on how you experience them in the business world as a leader. Okay. Because I think we're all in multiple marriages, right? The first one is criticism. The second one is defensiveness, which is the natural child of criticism. The third one is contempt, which is kind of like resentment plus, you know, the eye rolling, the, you know, the exasperated sigh. The fourth one is stonewalling, withdrawing, shutting down, staring out the window, you know, no longer having the conversation. I'm out. Stonewalling. Those are the four horsemen of the marital apocalypse, according to Dr. John Gottman. Yeesh. And almost always, most real, well, obviously, all the relationships that I get to see and study have at least one or more of those because this is why they're here. They're here because their marriage is, is struggling. That doesn't mean that they're going to end a divorce. Actually, overwhelmingly, that doesn't happen, thank God, in my practice. It just means that they have some underlying knowledge that there's a problem. They wouldn't say, I feel criticized, or I feel like I'm always defensive, or he's always defensive, or I feel like she shuts down the conversation. They don't necessarily have the words for that. But when you give them these things to look for, they can say, oh, yeah, it's unbelievable. Both of them, oh, yeah, we've got that. Oh, yeah, we've got that. You know, And then they start to claim their own responsibility and all that. Well, the beautiful thing is each one of those four things has an antidote. Criticism, you know, don't become an expert in someone else's behavior and mistakes. Become an expert in your own behavior and mistakes. Defensiveness, you know, take responsibility for what's yours. Uh, Contempt, scan your relationship for what's positive and focus on that rather than get caught in what's called that negative sentiment override where you end up just becoming so negative that you're just like, I'm just done with this person. And then, of course, with stonewalling, you want to make bids for connection and bids for repair. Where do you experience criticism, defensiveness, resentment and contempt? and stonewalling in your world? Uh, criticism. Let's start there. Uh, I think I was criticized today. Uh, criticized today for how I am operating, how I'm operating our business. And uh, you get that a lot. You know, people question whether or not you're you're fit to run, to operate. And that's, that's fine. You know, I'll take it. Doesn't, you know, uh, I would be lying or people, if they say that doesn't bother me, would be lying because you want people, you know, we, we like affirmation. Uh, but, um, it, that's always the case. I'm all, I'm criticized for what I do and don't do. And my team, if they do something incorrectly, they're going to be criticized for that too. Uh, the next thing is the defensiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, defensiveness. Oh my gosh. That happens every day. Every I'm not second. defensive. I'm not defensive. Uh, that's one of the things that I struggle with heavily is this, this quick desire, this quick need to be like, ah, uh, no, that's not me. It wasn't me that did it. It was them that did. I mean, reactivity. Yeah, it's it's so ugly, and I make it a very, very important um, thing in my daily walk and talk to be mindful of that. Like, if I find myself being like, "Whoa, whoa," you know what? No, be a man, be a leader, be a grown up. <laughs> like, mm. just own it. Like, it's yours. What's the next one? 
contempt slash resentment. Oh man, uh, resentment is easy to speak to because you know it's oh they uh, they didn't they didn't do it this way. They didn't clean the sheets. They didn't do the laundry. In my business, uh, you know, we have a laundry room and we have sheets that constantly need to be laundered, constantly need to be laundered. Well, we have a staff of people that in their care center, uh, one of their roles is, is they take charge of the laundry. Well, I, I know for a fact that, <laughs> you know, there's an overlap because of the weekend schedule and stuff. And if they're, that, that bin gets a little high, you know, I've had issues where I have to be like, okay, it's 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 both of your all's jobs to do the laundry. It's okay. There's no reason to be resentful <laughs> of the white sheets. Just put the bleach in and let's roll. Uh, and then my favorite quotation uh, about resentment is that resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other guy to die. Ooh, I like that. Which is why forgiveness is so powerful. But that's for another podcast. The fourth one is stonewalling. Stonewalling. Uh, that is that is something. If you do not want um, positive in your life in any way, if you do not want to receive love or positivity or anything, then why don't you just stonewall? Um, we've all done it, and we've all been there on the receiving end of it. You know that moment whenever you walk into the room and everybody's having their morning coffee, and you say, "Good morning, everybody. How are you?" Well, you may have wronged someone or fluffed their ruffled their feathers and they look down at their coffee on their at their phone and they just go mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right. Mm, um's right uh be mindful of that you know like if you have that urgency that that need or not a need or that desire rather to to be cold to someone get rid of it that's icky and you carry it it doesn't so much affect yeah the stonewalling to me like right. if you stonewalled me right now yeah that's mine that affects me that really does. That's you. That's on you. Resentment affects you. Resentment not me. affects me. Stonewalling affects me, not you. I think stonewalling is a a, a control tactic. It's a way. Uh, actually, it's something bullies do to control a situation. They uh, have someone who is trying to resolve a conflict, someone who is trying to make a repair bid, and to take yourself out of the game is to say. We're going to continue this conflict. I'm going to continue to hold it against you. I have no desire to reconcile with you, and I'm shutting it down. Locking, yeah, maybe locking myself in, but it ultimately freezes whatever relationship we have or could have had. And I think it's ultimately very manipulative and uh, hurtful to relationships, but it is so common. And 